0: Here's Dr.
1: DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about a topic that is very close to the heart of Indian country. We're speaking about tobacco and things related to tobacco. It's something, of course, a a plant that has been at the heart of Indian country and uh, used in many sacred ceremonies for centuries. But a lot of new dialogue has taken place in this century as we've seen some of the toll from addictive and commercial tobacco use. On today's show, we've got a world expert on the topic joining us. It's Stanton Glantz. Dr. Glantz has a Ph.D. He's a professor of medicine at the University of California at San Francisco, and he's the director of the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education at UCSF. Stan, it is great to have you with us on today's show.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Stan, for those who are involved in research, public health, tobacco control, you are not a stranger. I know I see you when I'm at major public health gatherings. In fact, we just bumped into each other at a, at a big uh, national gathering of public health professionals. So your name is very well known in the area of tobacco research. But for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background.
2: I started out actually a rocket scientist working for the space agency in Houston and worked on Project Apollo. Then I came out to California and did my Ph.D. at Stanford um, in uh, a project related to how the heart works, and that led me uh, to eventually become a professor of medicine at UCSF in the Division of Cardiology. Mm -hmm. And where I conducted basic research for many years and then uh, got interested in the tobacco issue and uh, now run the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education. Uh, I still conduct some laboratory work with colleagues, mostly on how uh, tobacco and now marijuana affects uh, blood vessels and blood function, which are very important for heart disease as well as uh, epidemiological studies and policy research.
1: Well, this is such a fascinating background. Now, I didn't know that you had started out actually as a rocket scientist.
2: Yeah, so when I say this isn't rocket science, I know what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Good. I appreciate that uh, added bit of credibility as far as some of the uh, illustrations you may use, Stan. So let's talk a little bit about where we've been over especially, what has it been now, uh, 55 or something years since the Surgeon General came out with that monumental report that really started the dialogue, at least in professional circles, about the connection between commercial tobacco and disease. Give us a quick recap from the eyes of a researcher. What the average layperson should have no questions about when it comes to addictive or commercial tobacco?
2: Well, tobacco is addictive. Smoking it is the most addictive form. The the big multinational tobacco companies understand nicotine addiction. They've understood it quite well since about 1963. And they use that understanding of nicotine addiction to design cigarettes and other tobacco products to be as addictive as possible to maximize sales. Mm. They uh, are very, very aggressive in their marketing. They are very aggressive politically to try to protect their profits. And uh, in terms of diseases, uh, smoking causes almost every disease you can think of. The the list of things that haven't been linked to smoking is a lot shorter than the list of things that have. The other thing that's important when you're comparing it to traditional uh, use of tobacco in the uh, Native American communities, the tobacco as it exists in manufactured cigarettes is just completely different from the way it's used ceremonially. I've uh, attended lectures by uh, medicine men who thought about these issues quite a lot. And uh, the, the amount of tobacco which is consumed and the way in which it's consumed in uh, tribal ceremonies is totally, totally different than smoking a manufactured cigarette. Mm. I mean, if everybody was simply using tobacco the way it's used in uh, traditional ceremonies in in the Native American population, we wouldn't have a public health problem.
1: That is a very, very interesting observation. So a Native person who may be told subtly or not so subtly, that smoking commercial cigarettes is a Native thing to do, this is really historically the furthest thing from the truth that you could imagine, isn't it?
2: that's exactly right. In fact, the tobacco companies have very aggressively promoted that myth in the Native community where smoking rates are very high compared to the rest of the population, and that somehow a machine-manufactured highly engineered Marlboro cigarette is the same as ceremonial use of tobacco. And in the presentations I've gone to by people who understand traditional theology in Native cultures, they just find that appalling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way that tobacco, I mean, I'm not an expert on the use of tobacco in Native cultures, but from hearing a few talks and meeting a few of these people, the amounts of tobacco that are used are very small. Uh, it's only used very occasionally. I mean, there's no equivalent to being a pack-a-day smoker use of tobacco in, in, for ceremonial use in the Native community. I mean, they're just night and day different. If native traditional use of tobacco involved the same kind of a very heavy use that you get in a heavy smoker, that would be causing disease just like uh, you know, smoking Marlboro cigarettes does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it, the amount of tobacco which is used and the frequency with which it's used is just trivial compared to the consumption that you see in an established smoker. But the use of tobacco causes not only cancer, which is what everybody's heard about, but it's it's a major cause of heart and lung disease. In fact, the heart and lung disease kills more smokers than cancer does. It complicates pregnancy. It's associated with low birth weight and sudden infant death. Secondhand smoke has a lot of the same adverse health effects. It causes diabetes. It, It causes just a whole wide range of problems.
1: Help us with that diabetes connection. Do we know the mechanism as to why smoking cigarettes might have any connection with diabetes? Um,
2: the answer is people know. Uh, I'm not, That's not a thing I'm expert on. But my guess, knowing a little bit about diabetes, is that one of the things that... Uh, Cigarettes do is mess up the functioning of your arteries, mm-hmm. and if you have uh, abnormal arterial function in your kidneys, that's a problem. Affects uh, metabolism of a wide variety of, of products. But I, the short answer is, I don't know for sure. But it has been worked out to the point that the Surgeon General and other authorities say it's a cause of diabetes. And they don't say that without understanding why how it happens.
1: Well, one of the things I appreciate about having a high-powered researcher is you're very cognizant of where your research expertise is and where you're getting a field of it. And I appreciate you just uh, being very candid with us today. So let's go to some of those heart and blood vessel effects because we're going to want to segue from tobacco to something that uh, in many circles today is now being promoted as, if you will, a safer thing to smoke, and that's uh, marijuana. We definitely want to talk about that on today's show. But before we get there, you made this connection, Stan, with really, from a public health standpoint, greater concern, perhaps in the area of cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, we might uh, include, and tobacco smoking. Why are those things connected?
2: Well, again, when you breathe in smoke from a cigarette, it's like sitting next to a little toxic waste dump on fire. Mm. And you're breathing in ultrafine particles. You're breathing in a lot of strong oxidizing agents and solvents irritants, things that trigger the inflammatory process. And all of those things act on the lining of your blood vessel, something called the endothelium, which is a one-cell thick layer that lines your arteries. And the endothelium does two very important things. One, it acts kind of like a Teflon coating and protects the muscle underneath from getting fat in it and other bad things. And also, the lining of the arteries senses how fast blood is flowing, and if, you, if the blood flow speeds up because you need more blood to get oxygen to your muscles and carry away the waste products of exercise, say, that, uh, as the blood speeds up, the endothelium senses that and your arteries get bigger in order to accommodate the additional flow needs you have for your body to function properly. And exposure to tobacco smoke just turns that off, and it happens in about a minute. Wow. So the linings of your arteries are very, very sensitive to even low doses, even at the levels of a secondhand smoke, to uh, the pollutants that are in cigarette smoke. And in doing that, in damaging the lining of the arteries, it opens up little microscopic tears, which allow cholesterol and fat to get down into the muscle or underneath that and build up what are called atherosclerotic lesions, blockages in your arteries. And also the inability of the arteries to get bigger when they need to is linked to heart attacks. Another thing that exposure to smoke does is it turns on something called blood platelets, which are Uh, elements in your blood that make it clot. And if you cut yourself, you want your blood platelets to get turned on and get sticky and stick together and, and, and stop the bleeding. But if your blood platelets are activated inappropriately and you have these sticky little things floating around in your bloodstream, they stick to the lining of the arteries and actually, as they're being pushed along, tear it up. And if you have an atherosclerotic lesion, that is a narrowing in your arteries that's due to a fat deposit, there's a little cap over that that holds the fat in, and the fat is under pressure. And one of these sticky, uh, sticky platelet cells can stick to that and tear it, and then the fat can splurp out and block the artery. And if that happens in your heart, that's called a heart attack.
3: Wow. And if it
2: happens in your brain, it's called a stroke. So, and those effects occur at very low levels of exposure, and they occur very quickly. The other ways that, that, that smoking is bad for your heart is that um, it <clears throat> kind of turns up your subconscious nervous system. Hmm.
1: This is why apparently the minute a person stops smoking or in a very, very short time that their risk of a heart attack, at least heart attack death, dramatically decreases. Isn't that right? Right,
2: right. About half the excess risk is gone in a year. So, you know, I've I've been telling you all the bad news. Uh Uh, The good news in in terms of uh, smoking and heart disease is the minute you quit smoking, you're cardiovascular system is working better. Wow. Uh, uh, there have been studies done where they take people and put them on a treadmill while they're still smoking and see how much they can exercise. And if they bring them back a couple of days after they've quit, and they can actually exercise more almost immediately.
1: This is fantastic. So
2: the heart disease risks associated with smoking both accumulate quickly when you quit they resolve uh, quickly now you know there's always still a little bit of residual risk but most of the risk is gone in about five years and there's a big drop in risk immediately when you quit smoking
1: well wow, this is such great messaging and we got to talk more about this and talk about some of the newer forms of delivery of nicotine and marijuana we're going to talk about e cigarettes I'm talking with dr. Stanton Glantz PhD professor of medicine at the University of California at San Francisco. He's got more great information coming up. You don't want to miss it as we continue today's dialogue on American Indian living. Don't go away, we will be right back after this.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775- Four six, seven, three. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out.
4: For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at WRInstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency
0: medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim.
4: When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke.
5: If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back
1: with Dr. David DeRose and Dr. Stanton Glantz, Ph.D. Professor of Medicine at the University of California at San Francisco. Stan heads up the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education. He's the director there, and he's been sharing with us some of those things that you've been hearing about for years, about tobacco and its connection with things as diverse as heart attacks, stroke, lung cancer, and diabetes. Stan... While we're speaking about those uh, effects, I was uh, amused some years ago. A uh, actor was actually hosting an event that was talking about the dangers of smoking, and they were going through this long list of things. And then someone came up and started talking about the skin effects and premature wrinkling of the skin. And uh, what was notable was this uh, actor became very somber and said, I've really got to think about uh, my smoking habit. So sometimes people aren't motivated by things that affect their longevity, but they are affected by things that affect how they look, feel, and function, and tobacco surely does that, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and in fact, the effects that you get with uh, increasing skin aging and wrinkling are related to the same kind of changes or adverse effects on arteries that I was talking about earlier.
1: Wow. Well, have we got uh, some safer options? I've got patients coming into my office, uh, not infrequently, and they're telling me that when I say, well, do you smoke? They say, oh, no, I don't smoke tobacco. I smoke marijuana. Or, oh, I've gotten rid of the tobacco, uh, uh, the cigarettes. I'm just using e-cigarettes. Are these things better, worse? Do we know yet? What is the state of the science?
2: Well, uh, in terms of marijuana, We don't know nearly as much about marijuana as we do tobacco, in part because it's illegal. And the fact that it is an illegal Schedule One drug creates huge bureaucratic problems in studying it. Mm. So the amount of research that we have available on the effects of marijuana is much, much, much more limited than tobacco. But having said that, the way that most people consume marijuana is to smoke it. Mm -hmm. And smoke is smoke, and the marijuana smoke, if you look at the chemistry and the physics of it, is not that different from cigarette smoke. Uh, The state of California, since 2009, has listed marijuana smoke as a human carcinogen on what's called the Proposition 65 list here. And there's uh, research that we've done here at UCSF with animals where we've shown that exposing animals to a minute of marijuana smoke has the same effects as exposing them to a tobacco cigarette. It just shuts down normal functioning of arteries. But the difference is that the marijuana smoke effect lasts a lot longer than the cigarette, Hmm. tobacco cigarettes do. So if anything, it's probably worse For your uh, cardiovascular system than cigarettes, than tobacco cigarettes are. Uh, There's a little bit of epidemiology out there, again, showing people who, after they've smoked a marijuana cigarette during the first couple of hours, are at an increased risk of a heart attack. Wow. So I think that uh, there is this myth out there that marijuana is harmless, and it's not. It's probably... If you were to consume as much of it as you as a smoker consumed in tobacco, my guess is you'd have a lot of the same adverse health effects.
1: Well, that, of course, brings up the other excuse, if you will, that I sometimes hear. Someone says, well, I don't really use much marijuana. I just take a few drags and you know, it helps me calm down. But what I hear you saying about the chemistry of marijuana smoke is even taking a little bit could be damaging your artery function and increasing your risk of circulatory problems. Am I hearing that right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So basically, we don't know a lot about marijuana. As you mentioned, we've got these limitations as far as the research, but the little we're seeing, the little that's coming out of research centers like yours, Dr. Glantz, is really telling us that this is definitely not something that's innocuous.
2: That's correct. Now, there is also some evidence uh, for a few conditions uh, that marijuana is helpful. Uh, it's, there seems to be reasonably good amount of evidence that it helps with nausea among with patients who are having cancer chemotherapy. There's a couple. I think uh, another one is uh, helping with people with multiple sclerosis. So there's like three or four things where there's a reasonable amount of medical evidence that marijuana used judiciously can actually be helpful. But uh, one of the real myths that's out there is that marijuana is generally good for you. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit like saying, well, a, a patient has cancer and we're giving them chemotherapy and it's good for them to get the chemotherapy because it's fighting back the cancer. Uh, Therefore, chemotherapy is good for everybody and should be used recreationally. And the arguments you hear for uh, the safety and, in fact, many people think benefits of recreational marijuana use are just wrong. And it's a huge problem because kids who wouldn't even think about picking up a tobacco cigarette are smoking marijuana. And the historical pattern where kids used to start with tobacco and then graduate to marijuana has actually reversed here in California and in in many other places. Now they start with marijuana and add tobacco.
1: Wow. So we've used this term in the past of gateway drugs, things that may open Mm -hmm. the door to to other substance use. Are we saying that now marijuana seems to be opening the doors for other addictive behaviors pretty conclusively? Yeah. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm, That's quite clear. Uh, people call it, the, because they used to say tobacco is a gateway to marijuana. Now people say marijuana has become a reverse gateway to tobacco.
1: Wow. So basically, you're really kind of, uh, oh, I would say, stirring the pot here because a lot of folks who are, quote, looking for natural things that are both recreational and healthy you're pretty much making a strong case to cross uh, marijuana off the list and maybe stick with uh, taking a walk out in nature or something like that.
2: Definitely. As I say, there are some people who have some medical conditions where marijuana judiciously used seems to be helpful, although uh, what the evidence shows is it's what are called the cannabidiols in marijuana rather than the THC. And the THC is the thing that gives people a high. So the medical uses of marijuana seem more related to the cannabidiols. There are many, marijuana has several different, they're called cannabinoids. It's like nicotine in cigarettes, there's cannabinoids in marijuana, or nicotine in tobacco, there's cannabinoids in marijuana, and there's several different cannabinoids. And the, the, the ones that are not THC are the ones that seem to be having the medical benefits for those places where they seem to work. But, no, I, I'm very concerned about what the way marijuana legalization is going because I think we're seeing the beginnings of the new tobacco industry. Mm. Now, that's not to say that the war on drugs was a good thing. I think the war on drugs has been a catastrophe. Uh, on many, many, many different levels. Uh, and so the dichotomy, the debate historically has been have it illegal, to put it on Schedule One, and, you know, just say it's the worst thing ever invented in the history of humanity, or have the a kind of uh, corporate free for all like we're seeing developing in the states that have legalized recreational marijuana. And what we've been advocating is a third path, which is legalize it, but treat it like tobacco, where use is discouraged, where public use is not tolerated, where workplaces and parks and things like that, and people make their homes smoke-free. But for those people who really want to use it, they can go ahead and do it as long as they do it in ways that don't hurt anybody else.
1: Well, I appreciate that messaging, especially those of us that are in California, because it's uh, become really, like you said, the new tobacco smoke. I don't smell tobacco smoke much uh, when I'm traveling around the state, but uh, there's a lot of marijuana smoke that I'm uh, breathing secondhand, and when I'm staying in a hotel or at some meeting venue, it seems like it's almost become ubiquitous in many places of our state.
2: Yeah, and we need to end in that, because, you know, I... Again, if somebody wants to use marijuana and they do it in a way which doesn't hurt anybody else, I mean, everybody's got a right to be, in my view, dumb, like I eat too much. You know, that's my problem. But uh, that needs to be done in a way where bystanders are not subjected to it. And I think the ideal thing for the state of California and other states to do as they legalize it is to put in place very strong demand reduction programs like we're doing for tobacco. You know, strong clean indoor air laws, strong educational programs to uh, make sure that uh, everybody, not just kids, realize that, that this stuff is dangerous. The thing that we could do with marijuana where the cat was out of the bag long ago on tobacco is we could require Standardized packaging, we could require big graphic warning labels like most of the rest of the world puts on tobacco products. Mm-hmm. So that we'd have a situation where, again, no one's being thrown in jail for using it, but the use is actively being discouraged.
1: Well, these are our uh, somber messages, sobering messages for those that uh, have been looking at this as the, uh, the new recreational drug of choice. We've got to talk about e-cigarettes, too, because that's also drawing a lot of attention. Dr. Stan Glantz with uh, UCSF will be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. A lot more great information that can make a difference in your life and in your health. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Drose. We will be back right after this with more on American Indian Living.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. So, you want to be a hero?
4: Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders
5: and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's Kids Getting Fit.
1: Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Dr. Stanton Glantz. Dr. Glantz, a Ph.D. at the University of California at San Francisco. If you're just joining us and you're not uh, a part of the research community, you may not realize that Dr. Glantz is one of the leading tobacco and related product researchers in the world. He's the director of the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education at the University of California at San Francisco and holds a full professorship of medicine at that university. Stan, we've been speaking about addictive commercial tobacco and how that's so different than what First Nation peoples traditionally use. We segued to the topic of marijuana And yet it seems there's some real parallels in those. Uh, In my lifetime, it's been an interesting journey to watch what's happened with tobacco. Uh, The first uh, Surgeon General's report, I think, came out in 1963, something like that. And uh, here we still are in many parts of the country dealing with significant challenges with tobacco smoking. Why did that happen? And are there lessons for us when it comes to marijuana and other substances?
2: Well, the reason that tobacco is still a public health problem all these years uh, after the Surgeon General's report in 1964 just comes down to money and politics. Mm. The tobacco companies are very, very aggressive politically. They make a lot of money in campaign contributions, and they do it to anybody who will take it, regardless of party. And they use the power that that gives them in order to prevent very sensible public health policies from being enacted. Uh, If they are enacted, they try to beat them back and uh, do everything they can to just slow down public understanding of the dangers of tobacco use and to prevent meaningful public policies to protect people from being put in place. Uh, The tobacco companies, back when Bill Clinton was president, The federal government sued the tobacco industry under the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, the RICO Act, which was originally established to prosecute organized crime. And the the Department of Justice alleged that the tobacco companies had formed the same kind of illegal enterprise that the mob would in, in an effort to defraud the public and keep people smoking so they could keep making money. Uh, That case dragged on for many years. In the end, the government, for the most part, won back in 2006. Uh, One of the remedies that uh, the federal judge, Gladys Kessler, imposed on the industry was to publish so-called corrective statements pointing out to the public that they used their knowledge of nicotine to make more addictive cigarettes. Smoking and secondhand smoke caused a lot of diseases. And it just uh, in the end of November, many, many years after the judge w- made the ruling, those statements finally started running. Wow. And that's because the tobacco companies spent millions and millions of dollars on lawyers just trying to gum up the process. So, you know, when I look at the, the heart disease and cancer and lung disease and the complications of pregnancy and sudden death, the tobacco use causes. I mean, to me, it's a disease of politics because there just aren't enough politicians willing to stand up to them.
1: Wow. Is there parallels with marijuana?
2: I think we're starting to see parallels with marijuana. One of the things that legalization has done is it's brought the industry out into the open, which is a good thing. But that puts them in a position to make campaign contributions and hire lobbyists and do all the same kind of things as cigarette companies do. And what I think we're going to see happening over the next few years is the corporate takeover of the marijuana market and then then the same kind of political shenanigans that big corporations do in everything. In fact, back in the 1960s and early 1970s, the tobacco companies were actively thinking about getting into the marijuana business, and the only thing that stopped them was the war on drugs came along, and they decided it was politically untenable. But I think at some point, either the tobacco companies or some company like a tobacco company is going to be knee-deep in the marijuana business. And I think they're going to bring the same kind of influence, political influence, that the tobacco companies have brought to bear to protect their interests. I think we're beginning to see that happen already.
1: Well, Stan, you've already made a good case on the show for the general practice of burning substances and inhaling the smoke is generally not healthful, especially when it's being done habitually and addictively. That is clearly the case with tobacco smoke. It's clearly the case, as you made some of the parallels, with marijuana smoke. The flip side of that whole dialogue I sometimes see as a clinician in my office where I have patients, uh, we might get into a dialogue. They've got chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. They have emphysema, and they're using some marijuana, and I start talking with them about my concerns for their lungs, and they ask the question, well, what about edibles? Is that something that your team has had any opportunity to look at, or are you familiar with the literature on using edible marijuana products?
2: Well, yes, I am familiar with the literature, and there's not much of it. Okay. Uh, edibles are newer kinds of products than the traditional smoked marijuana, and there's a million different formulations for edibles, and they're even harder to study than uh, than the smoked marijuana. The things that we do know about edibles is it's very easy to overdose on. Them. Mm. When you smoke a, a cigarette or a joint, the just the simple physics of burning the product and inhaling it and, and how long all of that takes, there's a limit to how much you can absorb and it's very very hard to smoke enough tobacco or smoke enough marijuana fast enough to actually give yourself an overdose. Mm -hmm. That's not to say it's a good thing to do, but that's sort of the reality of the physics of the situation. Uh, The other thing is when you smoke a cigarette or smoke a joint, the smoke goes into your lungs. It's absorbed very quickly. Uh, It goes from your lungs straight to your lungs. left heart and up to your uh, brain, so you get a big hit very quickly. That's one of the things which makes smoking a drug a more reinforcing and addictive way to use it than, uh, say, injecting it or uh, absorbing it through your skin or eating it. Mm -hmm. So in the edible forms of marijuana, the big problem that's been noticed, or the first big problem that's been noticed, is people eat a, a marijuana brownie, say, and nothing happens, because unlike okay. inhaling it, uh, you eat it, it goes into your stomach and down into your digestive system that has to be absorbed. So the buildup of the THC in your blood occurs much more slowly. So people might eat one of these products, and nothing happens, and they want to get high, and they mm-hmm. eat another one, and nothing happens, and they wait a little while, and Eat another one and nothing happens. And then a bit later, the cumulative effect all of these hits people. And so a number of uh, emergency room visits due to marijuana overdose uh, and poison control center calls. If you look in the states which have legalized uh, recreational marijuana, they've had big increases in those kind of problems. People calling poison control centers, people showing up in emergency rooms. With marijuana toxicity. And the problem is that nobody quite knows what the recommended rate to eat marijuana is okay. in order to get the high people are looking for without getting the toxicity. So, for example, if you look at the marijuana labels on edibles in Oregon, which probably has the best labeling, it says things like go slow. It takes a while for these things to happen, to take effect. Don't eat them too fast. But there's no real concrete guidance on what eating them too fast is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I, I had the flu a couple of months ago, and I was coughing, and I was taking cough medicine. And if you look on the jar or the bottle, it says, don't take this more than every four hours. And... And it doesn't say that on marijuana edibles. And one of the reasons it doesn't say it is nobody quite knows what to say. Uh-huh. Uh, I was actually talking to a colleague up in Oregon who worked with the health department up there on their edible warnings. And they this was a few years ago, and we know a bit more now than we did back then. But they tried to come up with a recommendation of how quickly should people, or slowly, should people consume edibles? And brought a bunch of experts together and they didn't have a good answer. So I think that's one of the biggest problems with the edibles. Now, obviously, if you eat it, you don't have the problems of inhaling it. Mm -hmm. So that's better. But we don't really know what the health effects of eating marijuana is other than this delayed intoxication problem.
1: Well, I mean, this is uh, so important because people think that When they use marijuana products, at least many of the folks that I see in my practice—I mean, some people tuning in today—they're thinking, "Wow, how many people do you have that use marijuana in your practice?" Uh, There's actually quite a few. Uh, I'm here in a rural uh, part of California, and uh, and we do see a lot of folks, and they're basically what uh, Dr. Glantz is saying—is they're experimenting on themselves. And uh, in medicine, we generally say this is not a good idea. That's putting it mildly. Well, Stan, we yeah. ha- we got a segue to the topic of e-cigarettes because huge amount of interest in that. And I think again, the word on the street is many people are starting to say, "Yeah, tobacco's bad. I got to stop smoking cigarettes." But the e-cigarettes, uh, hey, these are are good, or at least they're a better option. What do we know about the science behind the e-cigarettes?
2: Well, we know that e-cigarettes deliver lower levels of toxic chemicals to people than cigarettes do. And the reason for that is that you generate the aerosol of nicotine that you inhale by heating up a liquid rather than burning something. So you get uh, much lower levels of cancer-causing chemicals and and other bad things. But you still get the ultrafine particle because just as the way a cigarette works, or a marijuana joint is you generate an aerosol of ultrafine particles that carries the drug deep into your lungs Mm -hmm. and e-cigarettes generate the same kinds of ultrafine particles that go deep into your lungs and those trigger the same kinds of inflammatory processes and uh, that a conventional cigarette does and in fact there's some evidence in terms of uh, lung function in particular that e-cigarettes may actually be worse than conventional cigarettes.
3: Wow.
2: So, you know, again, we don't know nearly as much about e-cigarettes as we do conventional cigarettes, but, you know, my reading of the literature, which is evolving very quickly now, but I would say they probably cause around as much heart disease as a conventional cigarette does, uh, probably about as much, maybe even more lung disease, but probably less cancer. Um The big problem with e-cigarettes, though, or the biggest problem, is that they keep people smoking cigarettes. Mm. While uh, a lot of people think about quitting smoking cigarettes with e-cigarettes, and a few people do successfully quit smoking cigarettes using e-cigarettes, on average, most smokers who use e-cigarettes keep smoking. And so e-cigarettes, if people are using them to quit smoking, but they actually make it harder to quit smoking. So that, to me, is the biggest scam with these cigarettes is they're marketed as a way to help people quit smoking, but they actually keep most people smoking.
1: We've got to talk more about this, Dan, but we've got to step away just for one last break before we wind up the show in our final segment. Stan Glantz, professor of medicine, University of California at San Francisco. He's staying by. You stay by, too. We've got one final great segment closing out this fascinating show that can make a huge difference for you and those that you love. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to
1: the final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We've been talking about some popular addictive substances, from marijuana to nicotine in its various forms, such as addictive commercial tobacco and e-cigarettes. My guest from the beginning of the hour has been Dr. Stanton Glantz. Dr. Glantz heads up the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education at the University of California at San Francisco. He's the director of that center. He's also a professor of medicine in the area of cardiology at the University of California at San Francisco, commonly known as UCSF. Stan, we've been covering a lot of ground, and I think... Uh, Really appreciate you bringing the scientific evidence to bear as we've been kind of debunking these myths that if you've had problems with tobacco smoke, it's a safe alternative just to pick up the marijuana or the e-cigarette. I think you've made a great, uh, great case for people to think twice about those other smoked products that really are increasing the risk of disease. To put this in perspective... Let's just uh, talk again about addictive tobacco smoking from the standpoint of cardiovascular disease. I know that's been an active area of research for you over the years. Do we have any feel for, for numbers, for example, of of lives lost per year in America from tobacco smoking that, that wouldn't have been lost, at least in the cardiovascular arena?
2: Well, uh, tobacco smoking kills about half a million people a year in the United States And probably about a third of them are from cardiovascular disease, about 150 or 200,000. About two-thirds of the total are, uh, if you include, non-cancer lung disease.
1: Wow. So this this burden of suffering that we see, and I'm thinking of a patient that I saw just the other day. I mean, a guy who looks quite healthy, even though he's up in years, uh, mentally very sharp but his lungs are just shot from years of tobacco smoking. He's quit, but the damage was done. And I, I think of tragedies like this where people really, when they could be enjoying a very high quality of life, in and out of hospitals, on oxygen, not really a pleasant way to spend the rest of your life. And what I hear you saying is uh, marijuana and e-cigarettes are not necessarily the way to avoid that trajectory. Am, am I understanding that?
2: As I said earlier, there's much less evidence on marijuana and e-cigarettes than we have for conventional cigarettes. Mm -hmm. But uh, my guess is, in the end, they're probably going to be causing about as much heart and lung disease as the smoked marijuana and e-cigarettes. Probably about as much heart and lung disease as we see for tobacco. Probably the marijuana is causing as much cancer, too. The big difference between tobacco and marijuana is that we don't have too many pack-a-day joint smokers yet. People who do use marijuana, most people only use it occasionally at fairly low levels. And and I think that's one reason that the health effects uh, aren't nearly as evident at a population level than we see with tobacco. But I think as the marijuana market gets corporatized, And we see the development of more addictive products, uh, products that are designed to maximize consumption the way we have seen with cigarettes. And as more and more people consume marijuana at heavier levels, we're going to start seeing more people with health problems. Uh, Because in the end, and I'm not talking about traditional marijuana use in the Native community, that's a totally different thing. But if you're a marijuana company, just like if you're a tobacco company, you want to make as much money as possible, and that means selling as much as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if you can design your products in a way that people, might want, have people want to use them more and more and more, then you make more money. And we haven't seen anything like the kind of modern product engineering that we see in a cigarette appear in marijuana products yet. But the technology to do it is out there.
1: Okay, well, you've definitely given us some reason to pause and really uh, keep our ears to the ground. But it's not just keeping our ears to the ground. There are things we can be doing, and your center has made an example of this. But before we talk about some of the projects you've been involved with as a team there at UCSF and that you have a personal interest in, I know there are folks who've been listening to the show. They think what you've been sharing is tremendous. You have really just shared a tiny fraction of what's available On your website, tell us about how we can access those resources.
2: Well, we do have a website for the Tobacco Center here. It's tobacco.ucsf.edu, and that summarizes uh, not only the research I've been doing, but the research of about 45 or 50 other faculty, uh, many, many students and postdocs here at UCSF. It also links to resources all over the country and all over the world that are related to tobacco.
1: That is great. Give us that website one more it's time. It's
2: tobacco.ucsf.edu.
1: Okay, so tobacco.ucsf, the initials of the, the university, The
2: other thing is on a Friday, February 2nd in the morning, we're having a our annual free symposium. It's called It's About a Billion Lives here at UCSF Parnassus Campus. It's open to the public, and people who want to learn more about these issues uh, – and more about the research going on here at UCSF are more than welcome to come. And we do spend a lot of time rehearsing the scientists who present to get them to speak in English.
1: Good, good. So that's February 2nd of 2018.
2: Right, Friday morning.
1: Okay, we will try to make sure that we get this pre-recorded show airing before February 2, so that uh, as you folks are listening to this uh, broadcast that you can make plans to get out to the uh, Bay Area and go to that free symposium dealing with, uh, is it kind of all things tobacco, or uh, is it more than that?
2: No, it's about tobacco. The presentations will be talking about the effects on lungs of e-cigarettes, how tobacco products are marketed, some issues around international trade and tobacco control, and some very innovative smoking cessation that's being done uh, over the Internet. Those are what the talks are going to be.
1: Excellent. And,
2: again, it's going to be held at the Parnassus campus of UCSF, uh, and it's open to the public.
1: So, Stan, you folks are not only doing basic science research, you're not only helping connect the dots with how tobacco and other related substances are undermining health, But you've been taking an active role in trying to get good messaging out there. You've had a special interest in young people in North America and impacting them. What are you doing on that front?
2: Well, it's not just North America. It's the whole world. And uh, it turns out that the largest single reason that kids start smoking right now is seeing people smoke on screen in movies. Wow. And we've been running a campaign for many years now here out of UCSF called Smoke-Free Movies to get an R rating for movies with smoking in them. Wow. And the idea from that isn't to keep kids from seeing the movies. It's that when movies are made that the studios want to sell to kids, they want a youth rating, and so they would just leave the tobacco out. And the CDC has estimated that if we could get smoking out of youth-rated movies, that would save about a million lives among 12- to
1: 17-year-olds today. A million lives over the course of their lifespan, huh?
2: Right. And all we have to do is for the studios to amend their voluntary rating system to give movies of smoking and horror. There's nothing you could do that would be simpler and cheaper that would save so many lives. So how studios have so far been refusing to do it?
1: Hmm. Huh. So, um, what can the individual do? What can I do? What can my listeners do that would help that cause?
2: Well, we have a website called SmokeFreeMovies.ucsf.edu where they can go and learn all about this. Uh, I think going to the local movie movie theaters and asking them why are, are why are you showing movies to kids that have smoking in them. Uh, writing letters to 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 Time Warner and uh, Universal and uh, uh, Disney and uh, Fox and Sony and saying to them that they should use their vote uh, to get the industry's voluntary rating system changed to rate movies with smoking R. Those you know just make noise. Wow! Because I think that. Uh, Studios keep saying they haven't heard from enough parents who want smoking taken out of youth-rated movies, and so parents need to tell them. And this, the theater chains also control the rating system, and people can go to their local theater and ask, talk to the local manager and say, we want you to use your influence to get the rating system modernized so that movies that are sold to kids are not
1: also addicting them to cigarettes. Well This is quite a message. Stan, you've given us uh, really a lot to think about on today's show, from addictive commercial tobacco to marijuana to e-cigarettes. One more time, if there's folks that are out there, they want more information, you've given a couple of different websites. Give each of those websites again for us, please.
2: Well, to learn about the tobacco issue generally, tobacco.ucsf.edu, uh, that will tell people about the research we're doing here and link them to other resources. If they're interested in the movie campaign, it's smokefreemovies.ucsf.edu.
1: Thanks so much. You've been listening to Stan Glance with the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education at the University of California at San Francisco. I'm David DeRose, your host. And again, as always, we hope today's show on American Indian Living has helped you be in the very best of health. Until next time, I'm Dr. DeRose.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.